Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang. Of course, uh, this is New Southern Garden, and I'm Nathan Wilson. Glad that you are here with us in the New Southern Garden. It's been a wonderful week, has it not? As a matter of fact, I want to officially welcome you to Trick Spring. <laughs> of course, we've had spring-like temperatures, well, at least in the northern northeast part of uh, Georgia. I hope that you've had some nice weather wherever you're listening. But we've had some nice weather, and it's giving a lot of people, a lot of people, it's giving them spring fever. As a matter of fact, I read a report just a couple of weeks ago that spring fever is a real thing, apparently. I mean, we know we've always called it that. People are rushing out at the end of winter, beginning of spring. And when we have these nice days like this, even in winter, even in this late part of winter, when we have these nice days with the extra sunlight and the way the sun is higher and uh, it, it, it stimulates our body to respond in certain ways with extra energy. I think it does something with our hormones. And so spring fever is a real disease. I knew that it was. And finally this year, the science backs it up. So don't let spring fever get the best of you because now is not the time in our zone if you're in zone seven of course that's where we are if you're further uh further north than zone seven zone six you can forget about it growing vegetables right now as far as tomatoes and peppers and your warm season things we can't do it it's too okay here's what happens if you were to plant a tomato now just because it feels really good you might be able to put a bucket over it and plastic and keep the leaves alive unless we have some terrible freezing but even if you planted it now the ground is still very cold and it's not warm enough really for the temperature of roots that tomatoes like so what happens what happens is that plant will sit in that cold clay and it will be stunted. As a matter of fact, the research shows that if you just wait a few more weeks, if you wait until the appropriate time when the ground is warmed, usually in mid-April, you will have a stronger, more vigorous plant than one that has been stunted by late winter cold. So... I hate to bust anyone's dreams, but don't let these two or three 60-something degree days with bright, beautiful sunshine, don't let that encourage you to uh, go into the nurseries, because this week we've had people asking, don't go into the nurseries asking for tomatoes and peppers and petunias and begonias, because it is not spring. It is still winter. It's late winter. But that doesn't mean that you can't do other things in the landscape. Of course, we've already been talking week after week about good ideas, things that you can do. Of course, there's always planning. 
you know, at my new, uh, at our new home where we've got some uh, areas I want to garden and grow, I'm still thinking of new ideas for areas. And sometimes, especially if you're moving into a place and you don't know the area that well, of course, you're walking it every few days, you're doing stuff here, looking over there, getting to know your property. It could take a year, it could take a good season. You know, it's not unacceptable. It would be just fine to give yourself some time moving in, looking around at the place, giving some ideas of what you want to do. And of course, I'm sort of taking my time, but I've already jumped on one area. So this past week, I'm really excited. I had a little area that was generally a flat area. Um, and it's, it, uh, had some undulations. It did have some little knolls of soil here and there. And a buddy of mine, he came and helped me, uh, move around some soil with his nice, uh, skid steer machinery. And so now we've gotten that area a bit flatter. Of course, it's got a bit of slope here. We are in North Georgia. So slopes are what we deal with. But regardless, uh, what I'm doing there is trying to level the soil to create some really nice garden space. Now, you don't have to have level soil to grow things. You can grow on slopes. You can grow on hills. There's appropriate and proper ways to do that. And let me tell you, at my place, I've got plenty of hill. We are on the kind of side of a mountain, um, side of a hill, not really a mountain, but we're on the side of a slope. And of course, there just happens to be some areas that can be leveled off uh, that have a bit less steep topography. So we've got a little bit of both. And if you live in Northeast Georgia, if you live in any mountainous regions, it's just what we have to deal with. We've got to deal with slopes. And of course, uh, you can grow all kinds of things on any kind of topography if you get creative and of course, help protect the soil. Well, today's program, we're going to talk about some other ideas. A few weeks ago, actually, a few weeks ago, we uh, I was talking about something and uh, said, if, if you have any tips for food preservation or if you have stories about preserving your food, let us know. Well, we have a beloved listener uh, who loves the program, and of course, we love her, and she's going to, she's given us a, a message here about ways that they are preserving food. Uh, preserving food in this 21st century. And then, of course, we're still jumping in the mailbag, so we've got a couple of questions. We're going to talk about uh, some deer and how to keep them away from vegetables and things. And we're also going to talk about an unusual pest that you may or may not, hopefully, don't have issues with. But we're going to talk about the pickle worm and hopefully some other things. So it's going to be a big show, and I hope that um, that you'll be able to hang tight through all our breaks because, of course, we've got a whole hour to go. Now, if you had missed any parts of this winter's programming, of course, you can find us online at NewSouthernGarden.com. Now, of course, we're here every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on your hometown radio, WRWH 93.9 FM. But if you, for some reason, sleep in and you wake up at 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, well, I'm not going to judge you, but you can find us online and every episode we've ever had at NewSouthernGarden.com on your favorite podcasting apps, as well as Facebook and Instagram. And those are great places to send us questions, to uh, send us videos and pictures of problems you may have in your landscape. And if you haven't already followed us on Instagram or liked us on Facebook and became our friend, we think that you should. We think that we can keep in communication and you can get all of the news that's happening here with the new Southern Garden program. Okay, let's go to the mailbag. Let's look here. Of course, um, I'd already mentioned that a dear listener, her name is Caitlin. 
and she is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, let me just read her message because it this is this is what I asked for a few weeks ago. Was is there are there people who are still preserving food? I remember my grandmother and grandfather. Of course, they grew a number of gardens and uh, in two different <laughs> two on two different properties. Very large tomatoes, peppers, beans, all kinds of thing, all kinds of things. But then my grandmother did work pretty hard at putting away beans, putting away tomatoes, how, how whatever they could preserve. She did a lot of canning. Now, of course, canning has been around for a long time. You get your pressure cooker out um, and you heat up those jars, sealing them, keeping bacteria from getting in, keeping everything sterile and uh, preserving them for the winter. But not many people, I just wonder how many people do canning, but you don't necessarily have to because uh, Caitlin here, she does, she titles her message, Food Preservation in the Modern Age. And I think that's a great topic here. So I'm going to read her message entirely so you can listen to the different ways that they are preserving food. Caitlin says, hey, I am a huge fan of the podcast and it has been such a joy to listen throughout this winter season. My husband and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I guess call ourselves many homesteaders. We preserved a ton of food this summer for ourselves this past season and are just now finishing up some of our product. It was so wonderful having that summer flavor all winter long. Some of our top ways to preserve are incredibly simple and have made for some tasty meals. First, we are lucky enough to have a deep freezer, so that is key. This has been especially handy with zucchini, beans, and eggplant. We just cut them up to different sizes depending on what we may need them for, lay them out on a baking sheet in between some layers of either parchment or wax paper. Once they are all frozen, we pick them all up and throw them in a reusable freezer-friendly bag. Freezing on a sheet instead of straight into a bag helps minimize frost in the bag. Well, that's a great idea. Our second favorite method is fermenting. We, uh, we grow a crazy amount of hot peppers every year, and this year, for whatever reason, they took off. We had too many hot peppers to know what to do with, so we made hot sauce. Everything from a Zatar ghost pepper um, to a beet, carrot, and habanero sauce. Thanks to the freezer, you can freeze peppers until you need them, which we did this year to really capitalize on our fall garden crop for sauces. We have a red cabbage, carrot, mustard, and chocolate scorpion sauce in the fermenter right now. Our final method is jam and jellies. Mmm, jams. <laughs> we ended up with over 60 pounds of strawberries this year, so needless to say, that has been a main player all year long. As for something different, we made a really fun and unusual one this year, and I'll make every season uh, that I'll make every uh, season from here on out. It's a take on a mint jelly, but we added apple cider vinegar and cucumber. It makes a delicious jelly for a cheese board or an even more delightful gin cocktail. I hope these are are some good ones to share on the program. Of course they are. Uh, thank you so much for keeping me informed, entertained, and my garden passion live all year long. Now here's the important part, folks. Uh, uh, Caitlin says, we just recently started our own little LLC called Win Family Garden. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook for some lovely garden pictures 
picks and tips. So check out Win Family Garden on Instagram and Facebook because this is exactly what we asked for. We wanted to hear how people are preserving food, how they're making their summer crops last and linger, and of course, Caitlin already says that uh, food preservation in the modern age is a deep freezer. She says a deep freezer is key. I like that. I don't have a deep freezer, but by freezing those pieces of fruits on a baking sheet in between some parchment, keeping them separate, it's sort of uh, like she says, it keeps the the um, the moisture out of the bag so you don't have all of that frosty stuff going on. Now, Freezing has been around for a long time, and I know that you can probably find more information online if you want to know how to freeze things and what to freeze. I know that my aunt will use uh, freeze her blueberries, and she'll freeze them much like Caitlin does. She'll put them on a baking sheet, on uh, some parchment, and of course you freeze those berries individually instead of them touching each other and freezing into large clumps. Now, of course, she talks about fermenting. Now, fermenting is not something that many people are familiar with, and of course, it's a natural process. Now, when we think about fermenting, of course, a lot of times we think about making wines and things like that, and that is a type of fermentation. But there is other kinds of fermentation, of course, things like sauerkraut and the sauces uh, that Caitlin is talking about. So, fermenting, of course, is kind of uh, the ray. I think it's kind of trendy as well, because I know that there's that kombucha products that's kind of a fermented drink. And of course, it's supposed to get certain uh, things into your uh, uh, into your gut to help you with digesting foods. So fermentation is an interesting process. And of course, I'm not a, a fermenter, but maybe if you check out Wynn Family Gardens online at Instagram and Facebook, she can give you some tips. But then of course, your county agent's office. Now, every, every, um, Every state has an extension service. Now, what scope that is, maybe every county in your state has an extension agent. Maybe not. I know that the state of Georgia had an extension agent in every county until we had the kind of crash back in the day. And then county agents had to share counties. But the county agent's office has information for food preservation. So if you Google uh, cooperative extension in your area, then you will find not only probably sources and links. I know that UGA has a publications, extension publications webpage where you can today just go and download uh, certain publications on food preservation on all kinds of topics. But go check out your county extension agent if you want some more information on canning and preserving and things like that. But we thank Caitlin uh, with Wynn Family Garden for sharing your food preservation in the modern age. I love that title, and I love what you're doing at Wynn Family Garden. Thanks for listening to the program. Now, hang on tight, folks, because we're going back to the mailbag with some questions from your landscapes. We'll see you shortly. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our 
listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Well, gang, before the break, we were talking about food preservation. Of course, food preservation is that process. It's that process or a number of processes. There's many different ways to preserve your own food. And, of course, that means pulling, growing your own vegetables, pulling them out of the fields, and then storing them just like a squirrel stores his nuts over winter. You know, (laughs) it was a necessary part of life. Not too many years ago, not too many decades ago, people had to preserve and they had to store their food for winter because they did not have the luxury of the kinds of markets that we have now, of course grocery stores being one of them and and of course there are many of many vegetables that are available all year long and before it would have been unheard of to have a fresh tomato in winter but you can do that because now the world is so integrated with sending produce around the globe but does that mean that it's just as tasty as what you would grow probably not yours will be more tasty and even if you have to preserve that tomato from summer in some unfresh way maybe you have to put it into a can or maybe you could freeze it somehow or dry it even Even though it won't be fresh, it will be just as tasty and give you a reminder of what was going on in your garden just a few months ago. Now, um, we did talk about preservation. I wanted to add this since uh, the break. Uh, You know, um, Caitlin with with Wind Family Garden talked about fermenting and freezing and jams and jellies. And drying is a way that I've actually preserved food. Talking about drying tomatoes, I I like the... um, sun-dried tomatoes, <laughs> but of course, I didn't lay mine out in the sun. Um, I did take some fresh tomatoes and dried them in a dehydrator, but I didn't let them go so long that they didn't become too um, too dry and crispy, like chips, right? Uh, so in other words, I let them to where they were just a little chewy so that we could reconstitute and put them back into um, into a an, in, in some dish, you know, whether it was a sauce, tomato sauce of some sort, um, and, and add a, just a hint of freshness, you know. Now, uh, with those tomatoes, I did, let's see, I put them in a bag and then just put them in the free refrigerator, and we used them pretty quickly. So I didn't keep them at room temperature all the time because anytime you, you keep things, uh, you know, on the shelf or something, you've got to be careful. I don't know all the rules for that, and that's why I mentioned you can check out your local county extension agent, um, cooperative extension agent. They will give you rules and guidelines for things that are shelf-stable, but anytime we can keep things chilled to where bacteria can't grow, whether it's in the freezer or refrigerator, it just helps that product go a little further. But it's a fun process. It's an exciting process. And we do thank Caitlin with uh, Wynn Family Garden, which can be found on Instagram and Facebook. We thank her for her, like I said, food preservation in the modern age. I love that concept. Because if you want to do any food preservation this year, you better start studying up. If you don't know how to do it or just get interested, go ahead and do some trial runs with some produce from the grocery store just to give it a shot. Because remember, if you wait to decide to preserve your food 
when your produce is ready to pick. You have a very small window. So it's a good idea to go ahead and get any supplies, to get any information you may need or processes or recipes, to get them uh, ready to go before you even start growing your garden. Just have them on standby. Now, of course, you don't have to go so early. You could wait till you've already started planting. But the goal here is that as soon as your vegetables get up and growing and they are, boom, ready to pick, you don't have much longer to decide what to do with those freshest, uh, precious fruits or freshest, freshest fruits. That's a good word. But anyhow, fruit, food preservation is a great way to extend your, um, co- your consuming of your garden products. And again, I think that food preservation, a lot like gardening, has been forgotten about. It has gone to the wayside. We think that it's for an older generation who may not be around with us anymore, which is a shame because... They knew how to do it. They knew how to do a lot of these food preservation processes. So we just have to research and relearn, and we can make it happen. So again, check out uh, Wynn Family uh, Farm on Instagram and Facebook. And then, of course, check out your local county extension agent. They've got a great uh, supply of information on food preservation. Well, thumbing through the other messages that we've received in our mailbag this week uh, comes from Susie. Now, Susie says, hello, I live in West Central Florida. I was wondering if you knew what type of marigolds to plant to help detract deer. And she goes on with another question that we'll get to. So let's focus on this first one. Um, Okay, so of course, um, it has been kind of trendy and popular on social media for people to be posting pictures of marigolds and lemongrass and citronella plant to try and help deter certain creatures, whether it be mosquitoes like uh, mos- mosquitoes, <laughs> whether did I say mosquitoes? Whether it be insects like mosquitoes, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But anyhow, th- the the concept is that plants produce certain fragrances and oils that are released into the atmosphere, and then either deter. Um, uh, insects like mosquitoes or maybe even mammals such as deer. All right, so I don't want to shatter any dreams, especially Susie's, but what the research shows is that in order for these things to really work, they have to be planted in large amounts. Now, when I say large amounts, I mean maybe an acre or more. So, Your question is not about mosquitoes, but I know I've gotten this question a lot of times, and I thought that I would bring that up, that in order for marigolds and lemongrass to deter mosquitoes, we need large copious amounts. Now, marigolds do have that terrible, I don't know, I won't say terrible, but it is its own unique fragrance. We won't call it an odor, but it is pretty odorous. And deer usually don't like them, meaning that they don't go and eat them. So, in other words, Susie, marigolds in general, um, you're going to be able to plant those with that same fragrance. Pretty much all marigolds have them. Now, we're not talking about pot marigold, which, of course, is calendula, but we are talking about that old-fashioned marigold that Granny grew. Oh, they were, they're delicious. They're wonderful. I don't mean to eat them, but they're just wonderful plants for the eyes to look at. Now, with that in mind, what I would do to, if you want to try and see, and maybe at the end of the year, Susie, you could let us know if, um, maybe at the end of the year, you could let us know if it works. 
But around your vegetable garden and maybe in between your rows, plant large masses of these things. Plant large masses of marigolds and see if that helps to deter them or uh, detract them, get them away from your area. If you can find uh, marigolds that get very tall, that would be very beneficial, very helpful for what you're trying to do. Now, a lot of times... Uh, the modern marigold is very dwarfed, maybe only getting eight inches, maybe 12 inches tall. And so that would be very easy for the deer to step over, step around, maybe just step on and crush. Who knows? But the concept here is to try and create this barrier of, um, very not so good smelling things for them. Now, we can handle the smell of marigolds, but of course, they probably couldn't either uh, as far as really liking that fragrance. I, I do recommend this style or process of uh, planting plants with a not-so-good smell or plants that we know deer don't like, even in the landscape. Now, when you're planting your landscape along the edges, if you can create big masses of uh, groupings of hedges of things that deer don't like, such as Elysium or the anise plant. Now, that is a native plant to Georgia, Florida, the southeast. It's a beautiful evergreen, so it makes a great hedge, but also it has that anise or licorice fragrance and deer don't like it. So the concept at least is that you plant these things that deer don't like in large masses, in large groups. And what happens is they get to that when they're coming through the woods towards your property, they get to that first, that big hedge. And, and first of all, it, it's a big, big hedge. So they don't like it because they don't know what's on the other side. They want to make sure that they're safe and not going to get killed or eaten because they are prey after all. But then if they notice that the plant is not something tasty or if it smells bad or if it you just tastes funny to them then hopefully they'll walk away and leave it alone. Now, Susie, I don't know if that marigold wall will work for you, but let us know if you plant them in your vegetables this year and see how the deer hate it. All right, hang on tight. We've got more questions of your gardens when we get back. Greenness unfolded for the world to behold. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, of course, we are here in the New Southern Garden on WRWH 93.9 FM, your hometown radio. We are in Cleveland, Georgia this morning, and it is a beautiful morning as all mornings are in Cleveland. Amen. <laughs> so we've been answering your questions today, going to the mailbag. Of course, we had a discussion on food preservation from Wind Family Garden up in uh, North Carolina. And... Then we answered a question about marigolds. Uh, Susie in West Central Florida was asking if she knew what type of marigolds to plant to help attract deer. And I gave a big, long discussion on that in the last break, uh, last segment. So if you missed any part of this program, you can find it later online at NewSouthernGarden.com and your favorite podcasting apps. But in summary, 
Uh, in summary, Susan, what I would say is that anything but the pot marigold, pot marigold is not true marigold. It is called calendula. I think I mentioned that, but marigold in general is going to have that fragrance. And so maybe looking for older varieties, that may be beneficial. Looking for older varieties, trying to get that uh, true essence of this of this type of plant. And like I said earlier, the larger, in your case, the better. And if you can create a perimeter around your planting area of marigold, it will be, it'll, it'll bring in insects because they love flowers, but it will also hopefully, and I don't know, this is what I want you to tell us, Susie, is if it helps to keep the deer away. But if you get a variety that is two or three foot tall, rather than the newer varieties that are really short, I think you'll have better success. But Susie, you don't stop there. You say, also, last year I had a terrible problem with what I believe were pickle worms and was wondering if there was anything I could do to the soil before planting my veggie garden this year. Well, pickle worm, if that's indeed what you have, of course, the pickle worm is the larval stage. It's the larval stage of a moth. Now, you know, moss comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and forms. Sometimes they come around when we're flipping uh, a barbecue at nighttime. <laughs> and then sometimes they just buzz around your lights when you're coming in and out of the house at nighttime. But they are very helpful pollinators in general. Uh, moths do a good number, a good number, of, a, a good amount, I should say, of pollination. But the problem is there are some moths who um, actually can be quite unruly, like the pickle worm. They can become obnoxious pests. Now, the pickle worm, it gets its name, pickle worm, <laughs> because it does love the plants in the cucurbit family. Now, cucurbit includes plants like cucumber, um, cantaloupe, watermelon, winter, winter squash, all of your summer squash, zucchini, and, and other squashes. All of those plants are in the cucurbit family, and pickle worms may be a problem. Now, the pickle worm itself, like I said, is the larval stage of the pickle worm moth. Now, this moth, like uh, butterflies, you know, that they have a larval stage. A caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Well, this little larval uh, critter becomes a moth. Now, they are quite aggressive eaters. The worms themselves are quite aggressive eaters. And like I said, they do affect the fruits of cucurbits, but they'll also affect the buds. And sometimes they'll come into the stem as well. So Susie, here are some tips to kind of identify if this is a pickle worm. You might be able to tell it by it's the damage. Early on in an infestation, you may not be able to detect their presence at all. It'd be very extremely difficult to tell if they are around. But if you look closer, if you look closely, you may start to notice these perfectly round holes that have been chewed in the vine ends and the blossoms and even the fruits of these uh, cucurbit family plants. Then you'll notice that perfectly round hole right coming out of it is this soft frass, the soft, the soft frass. Now, what soft frass is, is it's basically the excrement and whatever came out of the insect as it was eating. And so, <laughs> but it looks sort of like sawdust uh, for many, in many situations. 
In the fruit situation, it'll be, you know, like kind of mushy and juicy, but that's going to be uh, a key indicator is that you will have tiny little holes uh, because what these bugs do, they, they just drill through your buds, your blossoms, and your fruits. And as they chew, they excrete this soft frass, and that would be a key indicator. Now, you have to catch it kind of early because frass can wash off. But if you're looking every day, then you'll be able to find out. Now, yes, pick a worm. Damage. It can be serious. This is nothing to take lightly. Because most likely, especially if the worms have already spread through your garden, you're going to find that these tiny holes that they've chewed into your blossoms, they would prevent the blossom from being fertilized, which means you'll have less fruits. And then, of course, any fruit that make it um, and are bored into later on. So, in other words, the flower becomes a fruit, but the fruit, while it's maturing, um, gets damaged. That fruit is likely to become rotten pretty quick with bacterial fungus colonies just taking over because that pickle worm started the damage, you see. So it's more than just the pickle worm that can lead to secondary problems like bacterial rots and fungal rots, um, which is not uncommon whenever your fruits are damaged. Now, Susie, I don't believe that all hope should be lost, but it is going to be kind of difficult to treat uh, or try to battle these pickle worms. Now, of course, what we're kind of referring to when we talk about it is we've already got the infestation. Now, maybe you've had it last year, and so you may have it this year. We're going to talk about preventing because that's really your question. But if you do realize, if, if any of us who are listening today realize we have pickle worms, uh, which are very common in these subtropical areas, especially in Florida where Susie's from, and maybe even into Georgia, uh, then we need to try to attack them so they don't become a, an even bigger problem in the future. But once you have an active infestation, like this would be in the summertime, it's going to be easier uh, to sort of salvage what you can and, and prevent future outbreaks. So you might say this question again, what do pickle worms eat? Well, carefully look and see every cucurbit plant in your garden and make sure uh, that if any fruits have those holes in them or frass, they should immediately be destroyed so you don't prevent the spread of a secondary infection or infestation, I should say. It's not an infection, but an infestation. So in other words, you don't want those little worms to become adults that can lay eggs and start the process all over again. Secondary infections must be prevented at all costs, which means that if you catch it early enough in the season, if it's a problem early on, you may need to sacrifice your plants, pull them out and burn them, get rid of them. Don't let those worms continue to grow and develop. And you would probably want to start again uh, with new plants, growing new seeds, whatever. That may be the easiest course of action there. Now, it's a sad course of action, but this is not uncommon in the agricultural and horticultural world. Of course, anytime we have a problem uh, with disease, we want to get rid of it. Anytime we have a problem with bugs, we generally think, let's stop it from spreading. And one of the best ways, especially if you catch a uh, pickle worm early on, is to destroy the, the, the crop and start over. But here's what you need to do now, Susie. Here's what you need to do now or when you plant in the spring. This coming season, 
You want to protect any new plants you have by covering them with floating row covers at nighttime, and then you can uncover them during the day so that bees can pollinate those flowers. So floating row covers are a lightweight sort of fleece. Now, they're used sometimes over winter to help protect um, plants from, from, uh, from cool, uh, cool nights, but also they are very helpful for protecting against flying thing, uh, insects that fly because you can cover your plants, cover your row of cucumbers, for instance, with this floating row cover. It's just a soft fleece, kind of woven fabric. A little bit of light gets through, but again, you're covering at night because that's when the moths are most active. And then during the day, you're going to uncover uh, those rows of cucumbers or squashes or cantaloupes or whatever it is you're growing that the pickle worm has been um, affecting. But again, you do that at night. You cover up your um, cucumbers at night because that's when the pickle worm is most active. Then you can let daytime temperatures, daytime weather, uh, let, let pollinators, bees, butterflies come in and pollinate your plants. And also, of course, get the sunshine that your, your plants will need. Now, that is one of the best ways. There's also another product you can use, which is uh, usually applied as a spray or a dust. And, of course, that is Bacillus thuringiensis. We have talked uh, pretty extensively about Bacillus thuringiensis in the past. So if you've missed any um, episode where we talked about BT or Bacillus thuringiensis, check out NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, any of the podcasting apps where you can find those old episodes. But Bacillus thuringiensis is an organic control. As a matter of fact, it is active living bacteria. Now, I don't want to scare anybody because usually bacteria is a bad thing. But certain bacteria harm certain things and others harm others, right? So Bacillus thuringiensis is a bacteria that doesn't harm a plant, but it does harm the larvae of things like pickleworm, pickleworm moth. Now, the key is you've got to get the Bacillus thuringiensis on the plant probably before you see too much damage. You see, the idea is that you'd want to spray your plants proactively, preventatively, so that if and maybe when <laughs> the moth, pickleworm moth, comes around, Susie, it will take a taste of that bacteria, that Bt bacillus thuringiensis, and it will consume it, um, and it will eat that young worm from the inside out. Now, yes, folks, it's very biological warfare-ish, okay? When you apply BT, it's an organic control because it is bio, it's biological material. It is bacteria. But it is biology consuming and destroying biology. Let me put it this way. There are plenty of bacteria in our stomachs, right? There are plenty of bacteria in our stomachs. Uh, some are good, but if you get a bacteria in your stomach that's bad, it gives you a stomach ache. You may have to have medication, antibacterials or antibiotics. I mean, you may have to be treated for that terrible stomach ache based on bacteria. You know, especially if you eat a, a bad piece of chicken or a bad shrimp or something and it has some bacteria in it. Well, the same thing is what happens with this pickle worm. The pickle worm will consume this Bacillus thuringiensis and it will give it more than a stomach ache. It will take it down. So that's how that product works, and of course, it is very handy for other things that are in their larval stage. So, 
Susie, to sort of summarize, if you have this terrible garden pest that we call the pickle worm, um, <laughs> it's going to affect not just cucumbers, it's going to affect all of those, or could, it could possibly affect all of those plants that are in the cucurbitaceae family. That would be the squashes and the, and the um, uh, cantaloupes and, and watermelons even. But the point is, there are two things you can be doing. When you start to plant your cucumbers out in the garden, put a row cover on them. Put a row cover on them. Cover them with a floating row cover. Uh, uncover them during the day, but every night you want to nicely make sure that that row cover touches the ground so that all sides are protected, if that makes sense. And then, of course, as your plants are growing in their young stage, be spraying them maybe uh, once a week or twice, uh, every two weeks with bacteria, uh, bacteria, that Bacillus thuringiensis. That should help keep most of the major pickle infestations away. I'm sorry you're dealing with it, but I think this year with these two, two ideas, you should have the best cucumbers you've ever had. Hang on tight, folks. We've got another question for you from you when we get back. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Unfortunately, there are just a few more minutes remaining on today's program of New Southern Garden. Of course, we have gone back to the mailbag today to uh, answer more of your questions. You've been sending them in, and I've not uh, been speedy enough to answer them. So it's a great thing for you to ask us questions. I just love that. It means a lot to my heart because that means that you uh, do view New Southern Garden as a source for horticultural information, and maybe you just want my opinion. I don't know, but I'm very glad that you are participating and sending us questions. We thank uh, Caitlin from Wynn Family Garden for talking about preservation, food preservation today. We also thank Susie from uh, Central Florida talking about her vegetable garden, trying to get rid of deer, and also trying to get rid of the pickle worm, which maybe just going to be as hard as trying to get rid of deer. I don't know. But um, the last question I think we'll have time for today comes from Carol in eastern Alabama. So this side, this side of Alabama. And she's basically, to summarize, she says she's she loves roses. She's had roses before, but she wants something new. She wants something different. Uh, knockouts are cool, but uh, is there anything else available that I don't have to uh, do too much to? Uh, it's pretty maintenance-free, disease-free. That's going to look great in the landscape. Well, I'm glad you asked this question about roses, Carol, because of course, roses is one of my favorite plants, and roses, there are so many. The thing about roses, they're like camellias. I don't know. 
there are just so many varieties available of roses, and the breeding programs just have exploded. Now, the thing about breeding is that plants that have a lot of genetic diversity, like roses, they get all the attention because they have not just blossom color, but shape and size and form and and disease resistance and fragrance. There's all kinds of genetic traits or characteristics that uh, roses, the whole rose family has. And you can take one from China and one from America and one from Europe and you can hybridize and you can cross. Now, there are so many uh, types of roses, different kinds. We're not going to talk about the details of some of the older roses. I've got a handful I want to talk about today that are brand new varieties, but we did have an episode or two on roses uh, several months ago now. Actually, I talked about creating a rose garden. So Carol, you may want to check that out at NewSouthernGarden.com and of course the podcasting apps because this program, like all programs, uh, once we've aired them live here on WRWH 93.9 FM every Saturday, they go straight to the web and straight to the cloud and you can find that at NewSouthernGarden.com. But yes, I agree with you, Carol, that, you know, knockout roses have been overdone. The knockouts came and they exploded the market. It's a terrible thing. The only bad thing about knockout roses, you ready for this? The only thing about knockout roses is that when they came to the market, pretty much every other rose variety disappeared. They disappeared. Now, I'm not saying you can't find it. Now, there are plenty of of growers who are growing roses, and they may be online. They may not be open to the public. There are ways to find old-fashioned roses and some of the things that have been forgotten. But the landscape industry just completely shifted to this knockout rose. And why? Because it has disease resistance. So the one thing that the producers of knockout roses, the star roses and plant group, whatever they're called, what they did is they strictly bred for, of course, a pretty flower, a pretty plant, but disease resistance. And there were other traits that uh, roses have that they did not really treat. So in other words, fragrance, the fragrance on a knockout rose is not there. There's really nothing. You can't really call it a fragrant rose. You can say from a distance that shrubby, bushy plant looks great in the landscape and in mass and along uh, highway plantings or whatnot because they're very impressive. But you can't say that they have a fragrance to speak of. So with that in mind, uh, a couple of other new things that you may want to look into. Uh, Similar to the knockouts is the oh-so-easy rose. The oh-so-easy rose is another series of plants. They're a little more dwarf. They're a bit more dwarf than knockouts. Uh, But they still have great landscape value and quality. They have the disease resistance. And some of them actually have a bit of fragrance, as well as the drift roses, The drift roses are actually the younger sisters, I will say, of knockout roses, the smaller sisters. They don't get as big. They are wide, but they're not very tall plants. They only get maybe two feet tall, but they spread for three or four feet. And so they are a true drift rose, kind of like the old-fashioned carpet roses, right? Now, I will say that the one thing the drift roses have uh, that betters them from knockouts is, of course, their smaller size, but also the flowers have somewhat of a fragrance. Not all the varieties, but there are some like the apricot drift rose and the peach drift rose and maybe even coral. Is it coral drift rose? Anyhow, uh, there are several of them that have a beautiful fragrance, which is not found in really any of the different types of knockouts. 
Now, completely different and um, far aside from knockouts or drift roses or oh-so-easies are a brand new rose, which are a hybrid tea. Now, folks, hybrid teas have not been really marketed in a long time. There are old-fashioned roses that Granny used to grow, you know, the hybrid teas. But this new hybrid tea is not your Granny's rose. And what I mean by that, it's not your Granny's rose, is that, you know, the old hybrid teas, the, or I should say the hybrid teas of old, they tended to uh, get spotty and have disease problems and you had to spray them. Um, and of course, as more and more people grew roses in our area, the diseases just became prolific. And so that's when Knockout said, okay, we're going to try to get this disease resistance thing going. Well, now the folks who created the Brenda Bella Rose, this is the new hybrid tea, Brenda Bella Rose. The people who created that, they have bred a great disease resistance into their hybrid tea rose. Now, it is a series of roses, so I think you'll really be excited because there are uh, several different variety types or color types. And of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week, we have uh, four different uh, types of these Brenda Bellas. We have a purple prince. You see a purple prince. It's not quite purple, but it's sort of a rich maroon, almost purple. And it is a very dark colored rose. But guess what? Fragrance is just gorgeous. Then we've got one called Glow. Brenda Bella Glow. And Glow is a uh, is more of a touch of yellow uh, while it's young. And then as it fades, it opens up to a pale sort of uh, um, uh, white with a little bit of remnants of that glow color and the glow includes uh, some orange as well but it's very pale but still a nice yellow then there is the uh, let's see uh, first lady which I think is the pinker one which is a pale pink uh, well I shouldn't say pale it's pretty rich and then there is oh I don't I'm trying to think off the top of my head here we've got a, a white one as well I just can't think of what that one is called right now but the point is all of these roses, they're hybrid teas with disease resistance and gorgeous, beautiful, delicious fragrance. Folks, if you are interested in some kind of new rose for your rose garden or anywhere in your landscape and you don't want to have to be spraying like the English roses and some of the old-fashioned ones, you can find this disease-resistant hybrid tea in the Brenda Bella Roses. And like I said, of course, they are always available or have been uh, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week. And we'll be glad for you to come visit us. There's a lot of things happening at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. Got a great team of people who are helping, consulting with folks, and we're getting the plants these, that people need for their landscape, for their vegetable gardens in the, in the summer as we get closer to spring. So come check us out, Lanier Nursery and Gardens, of course. I'm there pretty much every day except on Saturdays because I'm here. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, this is Nathan Wilson for New Southern Garden, hoping you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.